Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Sometimes change happens to us. Something that we can't predict, can't cause, don't cause, and may not like. Other times, we lead change. We cause it. We become the change leaders. It's essential to growth and development in 21st century leadership. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. I'm the executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership, and this podcast is called The Leader's Notebook. I'm glad you've joined. Later on, I'm going to talk to you more about joining the National Institute of Christian Leadership. Today, I want to talk to you about leading change, being on the front edge, being the cause factor of change, not just waiting for change to happen to us fearfully, but in fact, causing your organization to move in a different direction. Let me give you some factors that go into leading change. The first is this. You don't just announce change. You have to lead it. Change is a process. It's a factor of leadership, communication, development, all kinds of things. Young leaders, inexperienced leaders, I should say, often think that they'll just announce a change. But you have to steer the whole ship. You're, you're the major reality in causing that change to become the effectuated in your organization. So the first thing that you must do, John Cotter says in his book called Leading Change, he says failure to anchor change in corporate culture is most often because of a failure to assemble a sufficiently powerful guiding coalition. In other words, you don't want to be that lone ranger out there in front of everybody announcing change that nobody else is on board with. You have to spend time Again, inexperienced leaders tend to be dismissive of this as political, but you have to get people around you that are on board with this. You have to sell it to them. Young leaders in churches sometimes, they, they want to announce something to the whole church that the, their board hasn't even heard of. If you haven't sold it to 12 men in a boardroom, what makes you think that you can sell it to the whole church? You need to assemble that sufficiently powerful guiding coalition. Not just enough people around you, but the right people around you to, in order for the, the momentum of that to work. I sat on an airplane one time with a retired executive from the Ford Motor Company. Tell me a fascinating story. I don't have a way to, to corroborate this story uh, statistically. I can only tell you what he told me. But he was talking about the Edsel. He said, I assume you remember the Edsel. I said, I certainly do. He said, you probably think it was an unmitigated failure, don't you? I said, yes, I, I thought it was. He said, it wasn't. He said, it was actually a marginal success. He said, the problem was it was rammed down middle management's throat. Nobody wanted it. Nobody liked it. But it was pushed down middle management's throat. So when it didn't explode in sales, like the Mustang or the Fairlane, but it was a marginal success instead of a huge success. Everybody backed up from it and let the senior leadership hold it as a failure. And it became the narrative that it was a failure. He said if they had taken the time to get everybody on board 
or to make the changes that would have gotten everybody on board, it would have been a success and not go down in the annals of uh, automotive design as a failure, which he says it actually wasn't. Failure to, to assemble a sufficiently guiding coalition can often make the best and creative ideas for leadership change dead on arrival. The second is this, allowing too much complacency can make people think that they don't have to get behind this. They don't have to push. They don't have to work. You have to establish a sense of urgency. I'm not talking about panic or desperation, but a sense of urgency. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to make this change? What makes the pain of change easier, less expensive, less painful than the pain of staying the same? The third thing is we to that causes a loss of leading change is underestimating the power of vision. There it is impossible to over-communicate vision. Where are we headed? What is it going to look like? What are we going to do? What are we going to, where are we going to be in a year, in five years? Vision is exactly what it sounds like. When I look down the road a year, five years, 10 years, what do I see? Whatever you see as the executive, you have to, you have to get buy into that vision. They have to see what you see. They may never see it as well or as clearly as you do. But they have to see what you see. You have to get them on your vision page. Failure to establish vision is often one of the major causes of the failure to lead change. The fourth is this, permitting obstacles to too easily block your way. What your followers, what your staff and your administration want to know is, can you run through a troop and leap over a wall? They want to know that this obstacle, or as... Um, it was memorialized in, oh, brother, where art thou, obstacles. You have to be able to get past those obstacles to overcome things. In fact, obstacles in your way are not really a problem. They're an opportunity for you to demonstrate that your leadership and your vision are unstoppable. That's what you want to sell. If you are too easily stopped and too frequently stopped, People will lose confidence in your ability to lead change, and they won't get behind it. The next is this. You have to create short-term wins. I always say you take over a team that's, take over as the head coach of a football team that's gone 2-13 and 13 for the last four years. Don't schedule Clemson for your home opener. Schedule Slippery Rock and kick their brains in. Run the score up. And then you send a letter out to your alumni association for the first time in four years. We won the home opener. Don't mention that it was against Slippery Rock. Just announce that you won the home opener. That short-term win, one win, two wins, three wins. When you're behind in the game, you can't make up the score with one shot. What you have to say is, can we go up two points? Can we go up one field goal? Can we go up a three-pointer? Can we catch up one step at a time? Establish some short-term wins. Short-term wins and then the celebration behind those short-term wins creates momentum. Without momentum, you cannot lead change. Now, let me tell you something I learned coaching football when I was coaching years and years ago. And I coached baseball and basketball too. When I was coaching, I learned momentum. Many people have a 
totally wrong view of momentum. They think momentum is something that falls on you like the limb of a tree. Momentum doesn't happen to you. You create it. You create momentum by finding some small thing. You can't change everything. You can't win everything, but you find some small thing that you can change, and you change that. Then you celebrate it. You take over a team that went 2-13 and 13 the last four years, and this year you go 4-11. and 11. Okay, great. Now celebrate like you just won the World Series. You're starting to create momentum. You have to spend time consolidating gains, but you have to constantly press forward, pushing forward to new levels of momentum. As you do this, let me give you some insights in creating change in culture. You have to talk a great deal. Show the evidence. This is changing. Have statistics. Last year, we sold 500 units. This year, we sold 750. It may not seem like a huge thing, but you have to demonstrably talk about the progress that's being made. You have to keep selling the idea that you first sold. When I first took over as the president at Southeastern College, which under my administration became Southeastern University, it was pretty run down. Buildings were shabby. The enrollment had slid from a top of 1,250 students down to 910. Uh, the faculty was demoralized. It was, a, it was difficult, and the grounds were a wreck. It wasn't, wasn't beautiful. Okay, what are we going to sell? How am I going to convince high school seniors, that they need to come to that little Christian college, 910 students in decaying buildings and grounds that haven't been taken care of and hemorrhaging enrollment and terrible finances. What can I sell? What do we put on the brochures? I can't put pictures of the buildings. The buildings were reprehensible. Well, we can make brochures with sunrises and palm trees and pretty Pentecostal girls but what do I really sell? What I came up with was leadership. What we can sell is that this university is going to be leading the way from where we are to a new place. We're going to be moving from point A on to a new place, a new level, new vision. And so I said to high school students, if I were a high school student and I wanted to become a leader in my generation, I'd want to get in on the ground floor of an organization that is changing with leaders that are leading change. I want to see how they do it. I want to learn from the inside how to lead change. We began, we sold it, we talked change, we talked leadership, leadership, leadership over and over again. Finally, we had Dr. Ken Blanchard, the author um, who sold multi-million dollars uh, multi-million copies of the One Minute Manager. Had him come and speak at the campus, and he was so taken with it that he coined a phrase. He said, this is not a university. This is a leaderversity. You think I didn't grab hold of that? We said leaderversity a thousand times in the next few years. So we kept selling what we sold from the very beginning. This is about leadership. Your life is changing. Your future is changing. Your destiny is changing. Why not find that? on a campus that's finding its own destiny. We don't want to be that campus whose best days are behind us. As we're moving forward to a new destiny, come and go with us. That's what we sold. The second thing is this. You have to honor the past, but
but you have to keep your eyes on the prize. When I went to Oral Roberts University as the president there, also a university that was struggling, we had to change things. It had to move forward to a new generation. But I knew that ORU was never going to become MRU. We had to honor Or Roberts, the founder. We started Founders Day. We began a celebration of that annually. We honored the past, the traditions, what had been accomplished at ORU while keeping our eyes on the future. You have to be able to put that sign out subtly without words exactly under new management. And that was what we signaled at ORU. This is ORU, the best of ORU, we're never going to lose. But the best of ORU is yet to come. The third thing is this in leading change. You have to weed out resistors. This is, this is a hard thing to teach and it's a hard thing to do. But you can't afford to keep on your team and in your leadership people that are resisting the change that you're trying to lead. You're trying to crank up a motorcycle and somebody's sitting in the sidecar dragging a ball and chain. They're, they're causing your leadership change to slow down. You have to identify them and you have to weed them out. The fifth thing is this. You have to keep those who embrace your change. Do what it takes. Encourage them, affirm them, raise their salaries, promote them, whatever it takes. You want to keep on board with you people that have really bought into the change that you're bringing to bear. Changing culture is a process. It's not an event. You must have results, short-term wins, that are punctuated with celebration to create momentum, hiring new people that are with you in the vision and purpose and with the change that you're bringing and weeding out those people that are resistant to the change. Leading change is part science, part art, part statistics, and part intuition. What I do know is this. It will never happen if you aren't willing to run the risk of leading that change personally. You want cultural change in your organization. As the executive, you are the change agent. You have to lead it. I'm glad that you joined today. I want to invite you to go online and look up thenicl.com, the National Institute of Christian Leadership. I've been teaching the NICL now for a decade in a wide variety of formats and places all over the world. I teach it now in multiple locations here in the United States, and I want to invite you to join me. Bring your team and be a part of the NICL. It's change, teaching, leadership, management at a practical level, right, right where you and your organization are. I want to invite you to join me. This has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.